Welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for being with us this weekend. And here at Central, we've been in a summer series called King of Hearts, where we've been looking at the heart of David, who the Bible referred to as a man after God's own heart. Because for us to start to understand the heart of David would be for us to start to understand the heart of God. And over the last several weeks, we've looked at the uh, worshipful heart. We've looked at the courageous heart, the humble heart, the loyal heart, the blessed heart. And this last weekend, Hosanna Wong gave an incredible message all on David's focused heart. Yes, so good. If you didn't get a chance to see that, it's all about how David could have gotten drawn into other battles, into other fights that were not his fight to fight, but he stayed focused on the battle that God had ahead of him. I, I encourage you to go check that out. You can go to centralchurch.online to see last week's message. But this week, we're gonna be looking at the restored heart. And in order to do so, we're gonna be looking at a time when David lost that focus heart. We're gonna see that in just one moment of losing focus, David ends up with a huge mess on his hands. And the more he tries to dig himself out of it and cover it up, the worse the mess got. It reminds me of this video I saw of this guy who gets a balloon stuck in the door and while he's trying to fix it, it seems like everything just falls apart. Check this video out. I don't know if you've had times like this in your life. I know I've had times like this in my life where just one little thing goes wrong. I'm trying to fix it. And then it seems like everything starts going on and going wrong all around it. Then I end up with a huge mess on my hands. Well, David finds himself caught up in a similar mess. In a moment of weakness, making one mistake and then trying to cover up that mistake, he finds himself in the middle of a scandal. But David being faithful and God being a merciful God, he's blessed to find a way out of this mess with a restored heart. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't come without pain. It doesn't come without consequences. In fact, David could and, and should have been restored right away. And you're gonna see that he ends up feeling this feeling. He ends up getting a restored heart, but it doesn't happen right away because he's trying to cover up this mess up. But the fact that he could come out of it with a restored heart is proof that there is no mistake too big to, for God to forgive and restore. No mistake too big, no matter what we've done. Just like David, we too can have a restored heart. But many times when we're caught in a mess because of a bad decision, we watch our world start to unravel. And I'm gonna guess if you've ever experienced this, that in that moment, you felt like there's no chance at restoration. You probably even felt, or maybe you currently feel like there's no coming back from that mess up, that you're gonna suffer for all of eternity for that mistake, for that loss of focus, for that bad decision. Maybe because of one mistake, it seems like you started to lose everything good in your life. You might be at one of our live locations, or maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're sitting inside a prison cell right now, and you're thinking, there's no mercy, there's no grace big enough to clean up the mess that I've made. Maybe you don't even feel like you deserve it. You feel broken. You're tired of feeling this way. You're ready for your life, for your heart to be restored. And if this is you, then I have good news. God has given us a way to have a restored heart. 
And today we're going to look at the mess David finds himself in so we can learn the depths of the power of God when it comes to him restoring our lives. So here's David. He's a man after God's own heart. He's the man who had the courage to take on and defeat a giant. He's a man that got chased around by an angry king and he stayed humble and loyal and this king was trying to take his life but he did, that didn't mess up his loyalty. That didn't mess up his humility. Here's David who was patient on God's timing for his kingship. Here's David who, once he was king, restored the Ark of the Covenant back with God's people, God's presence back amongst his people, pointing the nation back towards God. Finally, the king, finally the leader that the nation of Israel needed. And in one moment, one loss of focus, one bad decision, and all of that starts to unravel. And David finds himself in a mess. He finds himself in a scandal, the type of scandal that if it happened today, it would be all over the news. Documentaries would be made about it. TMZ would definitely pick it up. It would be all over social media. People saying, can you believe what he did? He for sure would have been canceled in today's culture. I can't believe what the king, he's a king. He shouldn't be doing stuff like, I gotta go post about this. Everybody needs to know that he did this. Listen, just because he was king, that didn't make him superhuman. And leaders are made of the same dirt as the rest of us. At the end of the day, we are all sinners because we're human. None of us are out of the reach and the grip of sin. And when you look at the entirety of someone's life, there's gonna be moments where they defeat a giant, and there's gonna be moments where, unfortunately, it seems like the giant has defeated them. But in order to have a restored heart, it all comes down to how we handle and how we come out of these sinful moments by doing things God's way and letting him do the restoring. So David's in a scandal. He, he messed up. He lost his focus. And if you're following along in your Bible today, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 as I recap this story. It's springtime in Jerusalem, and this is typically the time that kings would go to war. But this particular spring, David didn't join his men on the battlefield. Now, what we know about David is that he's a fighter. He's a champion. God had equipped him to be a man of the battlefield. But why wasn't he on the battlefield? Well, the truth is, we don't really know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But here's the detail I don't want you to miss. Had David been on the battlefield with his men, he wouldn't have fallen into the temptation he's about to fall into. And we pick up in verse 2 of chapter 11. In 2 Samuel, it says, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace as he looked out over the city. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. The Bible uses the word noticed. In other translations, it would say she was very beautiful to behold. What the Bible is trying to tell us is that David didn't just go out on the rooftop and skim over the, the other rooftops and happen to just glance by Bathsheba and go, oh, there's, she's taking a bath, and, and walk off. No, David looked, and then he took a second look. David noticed Bathsheba. David beheld Bathsheba in his mind. And then ba ba David sends a messenger to go find out this woman's name. And the messenger comes back and he's really trying to help a brother out. He, he's trying to convey a message that just gives David, the king, a little bit of a warning. He's like, her name is Bathsheba, but 
Your majesty, uh, just in case you're wondering, just, just, to, just to let you know, she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. She's married, but David's lovestruck. Or honestly, he's probably more lustruck. He doesn't listen. He doesn't care. He sends the messenger to go and get her and bring her back to the palace where he sleeps with her. David lets one moment of temptation get the best of him. And this sets off a chain reaction that will change the rest of his life. Because it's not long after this that David gets a message from Bathsheba that reads, I'm pregnant. Oh no, she's pregnant. I'm not gonna be able to cover this up. I'm gonna have to fess up. I'm gonna have to come clean. David's gonna have to call Uriah, the husband, back from the battlefield, the battlefield he should be on, by the way. He's gonna have to call him back and he's gonna have to face the music. He's gonna have to tell him the truth, what he's done with his wife, right? No, David calls Uriah back from the battlefield, but not to tell him the truth. He calls Uriah back and invites him over to the palace where he feeds him and he gets him drunk and he tries to get him to go home and sleep with his wife, thinking the timing should add up that if he goes home and sleeps with his wife tonight, then everyone will think he got her pregnant. He'll think he got her pregnant. But Uriah doesn't go home. Uriah sleeps at the entrance of the palace on the ground that night. And when David finds this out the next day, he asks Uriah, why didn't you go home? Why don't you go home to be with your wife? And Uriah basically tells him, how can I go home? You, you feed me, you get me drunk. I can't go home and sleep in a comfortable bed with my wife while my brothers are off at war. This is wartime, I need to be focused. So operation cover up plan A isn't gonna work for David. So he moves on to plan B. He sends a message, a letter, in the hands of Uriah, by the way, back to his commander, Joab who's leading David's army, and he asked for Uriah to be put on the front lines of the next battle, where the fighting is at its fiercest. Uriah is carrying his very own death sentence back to the battlefield, and he doesn't even know it. And then David instructs Joab that while Uriah is on the front lines to have the other men pull back, leaving Uriah exposed to be killed in battle, which is exactly what happens. Faithful, loyal, trusting Uriah, one of David's top warriors. He dies in order for David to cover up his mistake. And then Bathsheba goes through this period of mourning for her fallen husband. And when the mourning is over, David finishes this cover-up by taking Bathsheba as his wife. But we know it wasn't a total cover-up because God still knew. God still knew. Sure, he might have kept it hidden from pretty much everyone else, but God knew what happened and God became angry and displeased with David. And David goes on with this lie for quite some time. We know till at least after the child was born. So at least nine months, but scholars would say it was right around a year that David carried this lie, thinking he covered it up. Thinking that he covered up adultery and literally got away with murder, but this had to be a horrible year for David. What do I mean? Sleepless nights, most likely filled with guilt and shame, He's feeling more distance from God than he's ever felt before. It had to be some very, very dark months for David because his whole life, he's always been close to God and now he finds himself in the middle of a scandal. Then the Lord sent a message to David through a friend, Nathan, who was a prophet. And God told Nathan to tell David this story of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had a lot of sheep, he had a lot of cattle, while this poor man had one baby lamb. 
And he loved this baby lamb. He treated this baby lamb like it was his own child. He fed this baby lamb. He held this baby lamb. This baby lamb was his whole world. And the rich man had guests over to his house and he wanted to feed them dinner. And instead of going out and having one of his own sheep, one of his own cattle slaughtered and and fed, he goes and has the rich man's baby lamb killed and served to his guests. Now, when David, he hears the story, he gets angry. He gets furious and he says, any man that would do such a thing deserves to die. And then Nathan says in, in verse seven of chapter 12, we're gonna all read this together. You ready? I'm gonna, here we go. You are that man. You are that man. Oh, get angry. Get self-righteous, David. But I'm telling you the story because this man is you. You did this very thing. You had everything. You had all the riches. You had all the luxuries. You could have had any single woman in the kingdom for your wife, and you chose someone who had so little, and you took from them, and you killed for it. There's a great reminder here. We're so much better at seeing what's wrong with others than we are looking inward and seeing what's wrong with ourselves. We tend to always judge and punish others harsher than the punishment we want for ourselves. The story Nathan told was over a lamb. It was an animal that had been unjustly taken and killed, and David was ready for the harshest consequence to be brought against this man. David says, this man should die. But David didn't even stop to think about his own actions that he took the life of an innocent person, a a person that he had wronged, by the way, to cover up his mistake. We need to look at ourselves and the punishment we each deserve before we condemn someone else. So Nathan tells David, you are that man. And David realizes this sin. He realizes his sin and he confesses. And Nathan tells David that God's gonna spare his life, but there's gonna be consequences for this mistake. Horrible consequences. And one of those consequences is that David's new child with Bathsheba ends up very sick. And David is devastated. He's rolling around on the ground. He's pleading with God day and night not to take his baby, screaming, not eating, trying to change God's mind. But unfortunately, sadly, the child dies. And when David realizes this, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 12, 20, then David got up from the ground washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. Why are we focusing on this verse? Because this verse, this verse marks a turning point for David. He gets caught up in a horrible mistake. He makes terrible decisions that have grave consequences. The same man whose whole life has been in good standing with God, he finds himself on the wrong side of God's blessing. And for a year, he lives in guilt and shame and turmoil. He suffers great loss for his mistake. He has to endure horrible consequences. David is at rock bottom with his face in the dirt, not able to get up off the ground. But right here in verse 20, he gets himself up off the ground. He washes himself up. He changes his clothes and he starts the process of being restored. And David's men are confused. 
They're beside themselves. They're like, while your child was sick and, and living, you were broken and crying and screaming and rolling around on the ground and grieving. And, and we thought this news of him passing, of him dying, this was going to break you, that this was going to send you over the edge. And now you're getting yourself up off the ground. Why the, why the sudden change in demeanor? And David basically says, there's nothing more I can do about this. There's nothing more I can do. Maybe you're here today and your life went a different direction than you foresaw for yourself. That you ever intended for yourself because of a bad choice that you made. Seems like the consequences and the devastation from that bad decision have been so bad that you've been down on your face in the dirt for a long time. My question to you is, have you forgiven yourself enough to get the courage to say, there's nothing more I can do about this? It's time to get up off your feet. It's time to get yourself cleaned up. It's time to be restored. Those sleepless nights, that loss of appetite, that guilt, that shame, those cries for help, those thoughts that you never thought you would have, it's been long enough. It's time to say to yourself, there is nothing more I can personally do. And just like David, it's time to put your heart, put your heart in the hands of the only one that can restore you and lift you up out of this mess that you've been in. And David, in trying to heal and get right with God, he went through a restoration process. It's a process that's giving us a path to a restored heart in Psalm 51. David would have written this psalm at the same time that he, would, he just got through this scandal. He just got through this mess. Nathan confronted him. He's now ready to get up off his face. He's now ready to get out of the dirt. And we're gonna see that the very first thing that David does is that he accepts responsibility and confesses. So what do we do with this? How, how do we live this path? Well, the very first thing we have to do is accept responsibility. When I was a teenager, I had horrible, horrible acne. Like it, it was bad. And it was because I was just your typical teenage boy, which means I didn't take enough showers. I, I didn't have a great nighttime routine of washing my face. And the, and the acne got bad. It got out of control and I needed to do something about it. And the popular remedy at that time was this program, this system called Proactive. So many faces restored because of proactive. It was the thing at the time. Now, this is not an advertisement for proactive. You're not even gonna be able to see if it worked or not because I have a beard. <laughs> Here's what I'm trying to say. The very first step in the process was this cleanser that to me was the equivalent of just pouring straight acid on your face. It hurt. It was painful. So much so, it was so painful, it burned so bad that there were times I didn't even wanna start the nighttime routine of using the system because the first step hurt that bad. It was that painful. Now, it might have been the first step to fixing the problem, but the pain it caused me was a deterrent. And the same can be said about the first step in the restoration process given to us in that Psalm 51. It's not fun. It doesn't necessarily feel good at first. In fact, while doing it, it can feel painful. But if we want a restored heart, if we want, if we want a restored life, if we want God to be able to use us and do something and lift us up out of the dirt, the first thing that we have to do is accept responsibility. 
When Nathan confronted David and David realized his sin, the very first thing he did was accept responsibility. And then he confessed, he repented, he owned his mistake. In fact, check out his very words in Psalm 51, verse three. He says, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. David is saying, God, I admit that this was my wrongdoing. I sinned, I I messed up. I took a, a man's wife from him. I had him killed and then I tried to cover the whole thing up and this haunts me day and night that I've done this. In fact, in verse two of that same Psalm, David says, I need you to take it, God. I need you to cleanse me of it. And it's in the admitting of his own fault that David starts the process of restoration, the the process of God's forgiveness. And the same is true for us. The first thing we need to do in order to get a restored heart, and I mean we as in everyone, because there's not a perfect person in here. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. The first thing we need to do is we need to accept responsibility and confess that sin to God. We need to own that sin. If we want to move forward in his forgiveness, this is how it starts. Now, it might not be the most fun part of the process. In fact, it might be the most painful, admitting our guilt and reliving some of that shame. But it's the only way the cleansing starts to work. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, it says, but if we confess our sins to him, don't, don't miss this. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Listen, restoration cannot begin until we face what is broken. Restoration cannot begin until we face what is broken, which leads us to the next step of restoration, and that's that we need to let go of guilt. In our home, we have two dogs, and I've introduced one of those dogs to you before if you were around that weekend, but I'll describe her a little bit to you. Her name is Olive. She is an Australian Labradoodle. She's less than a year old. She's just a puppy, and she is 20 pounds of cuteness. She's tiny. She's fun. Uh, I think we have a picture of both of our dogs here. That's Olive in the front. And you would think that Olive is the most mischievous dog in our household because puppies are supposed to be mischievous. They're supposed to get into trouble. They're supposed to have not learned yet so that they're, they're gonna make mistakes and they're gonna do things and they're gonna get into things. But Olive is not the most mischievous dog in our household. The most mischievous is that dog behind her, Zoe. Now, Zoe is a big dog. Zoe is nine years old. Zoe is 70 pounds. She's over five feet tall when she's standing on her hind legs. And one of Zoe's favorite things to do is to get up onto the counter and see what kind of food she can snatch from any countertop. And it's bad. I'm I'm telling you, if you you have lunch on the counter and you go to get a glass of water, you gotta watch your lunch. You gotta watch Zoe because she will steal your lunch while you're grabbing that glass of water. Or this has happened before. Laura has made dinner before. She's got all of dinner prepared for the family. She goes to check on the girls to get the girls who are doing their homework, comes back to the kitchen, and Zoe has devoured dinner. Or there's one time we had a birthday party at our home, and before the person could blow out the candles on their cake, Zoe snatched that cake, ate the whole chocolate cake off the counter. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is your fault, Nick. You need to learn from your own mistakes. Stop putting stuff on the counter. And I know. I know, we put that temptation in front of her and we don't learn, but she is mischievous 
And I always know when she's gotten into something because I'll come in from, the, from outside or I'll come downstairs and Zoe's in her dog bed with her tail tucked, looking up at me with these big guilty eyes. I have a picture of that right here. That look right there, that's Zoe saying, I did something, I got into something. She had just gotten into the trash right here and I snagged that picture. She's trying to say, I'm ready for my consequence. I know I'm in trouble here. She just has a look of guilt and I immediately know she's done something because she's not great at hiding that guilt. And the rest of the day, she'll go around moping around the house just like that, carrying this guilty look until she goes to bed. And then she wakes up the next morning and tries to snag my breakfast. But (laughs) David, he could have done the same thing. He could have stayed down on his face, drowning in his own guilt the rest of his life. But instead, he gives us the second step to the restored heart, and that's that he lets go of his guilt. He lets go of his guilt. David knows this is the only way that I can have a heart that's restored. I got to stop feeling this guilt. Check out what he says in Psalm 51, verse 7. He says, purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Here's what's amazing about David. When he messed up, he knew where to go. He knew how to get restored. Remember, he's a man after God's own heart. How could a man that had messed up this badly be defined this way? It's because when David messed up, he went to God for his repentance. He went to God for his approval. You see, when we mess up today, we try to restore our reputation with others. We try to get the approval of people again. We prioritize what others think about us over what God thinks about us. But David was more focused on getting things right with God than he was the approval of people. David knew the only one that could remove the guilt that he carried was God. We can't focus on winning the approval of others. Jesus himself, he saw this to be true. There's one week where he's entering the the city of Jerusalem and everyone's throwing a party and they're waving palm branches and they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then the very next week, they're yelling, crucify him. And Jesus didn't even mess up. Jesus was without mistake. Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. The approval of man is not the goal because the truth is we will probably never get it. It's not about what others think. It's about what God thinks. And your destiny is not in the hands of other broken human beings. It's in the hands of a perfect God. So much so that he sent his only son to live a perfect life to offer you that restoration. And we know this from that, the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. It reads, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But I want you to check out verse 17 that follows this. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Not to judge Not to judge the world. Now, there's a day where God will be the judge, but that wasn't the role of Jesus. God sent Jesus to save us from judgment. What does that mean? It means that you and I, we're not meant to carry around guilt. 
That's not God's plan for us. That's not part of the restoration process. That's not pain that we're supposed to live with. In fact, quite the opposite. We're supposed to be free from guilt. David says, remove the guilt, remove the stain of guilt. Give me a clean heart, God. I need a clean heart. That's what restoration looks like. Only God can take our devastation and offer us a restoration. Only God can take what has devastated us and restore us, which leads us to the last thing David did in the restoration process, and that was that he got back on track. In our story with David, he went through days and days and days of guilt. He lost so much in his life as consequences for his sin. He's down on the ground, he's on his face, but he gets up, he washes the dirt off his face, he changes his clothes, and the Bible tells us the next thing he does in 2 Samuel 12, 20 is he went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. He changed directions. He didn't keep living in that sin that had held him back for so long. He got back on track. This is the last step of the restoration process. This is proof that the restoring is working, is that when we can get back on track with God, when we can stop turning our back to him, we can turn our face to him again, walking back towards him, leaving that sin that we got caught up in behind. David wasn't gonna make the same mistake again. David got refocused on God. Check out what he says in Psalm 51, verse 15. He says, unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken heart. Spirit, I should read it. Broken spirit. <laughs> you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. You desire a broken spirit. A broken spirit learns from past mistakes. Evidence of a broken and repentant heart is one that recognizes and stays away from the sin that threw their life off track. David's saying, I'll change my ways. I won't make the same mistake again. I'm gonna recommit myself to looking to you, God, keeping my focus on you, keeping my thoughts on you, keeping the praise coming from my lips about you. No sacrifice will do but me showing you that I'm turning my life and my lifestyle back to you. Restore my heart back to you, God. God can and will restore your heart. He will get you back on your feet again. He can restore you from that moment of weakness that broke your family. He can restore you from that divorce that you went through. He can restore you from that addiction that's already taken so many precious years of your life. He can restore you from those bad financial decisions that took everything you saved. He can restore you from that loss of a loved one. He can restore you from a bad health diagnosis. He can restore you from depression and anxiety. He can restore you from that betrayal you faced. He can restore you from that secret that you keep every night, causing you way too many nights of loss of sleep. He can restore you. He wants to restore you. It's time to get yourself out of the dirt, to get your face out of the dirt, to get back up on your feet again and find the path to a restored heart. The very first thing David did is that he accepted responsibility. And we see that in Psalm 51, three, just like we saw before. And then we saw that the next thing he did is he let go of the guilt that he was carrying. He gave it back to God. 
saying, God, remove that stain of guilt from me in Psalm 51, seven. And the last thing that he did is that he got back on track in Psalm 51, 15, asking God to break that rebellious spirit inside of him to get him back on the path to a restored heart. And this is a great Psalm for you to, to read if you want a restored heart, if someone you know needs a restored heart, to read this Psalm 51, to meditate on it, to pray it. But I also wanna give you an opportunity here today that if your life needs restoring, if you're ready for God to pick up those broken pieces and put them back together again, then I'm gonna ask that you pray this prayer after me. So if I could have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. We're gonna give it to God. We're gonna give it to him. The only one that can restore our hearts. God, thank you for your unfailing love. Right now, I ask that you wash everyone clean that, that needs to restore the mistakes that they made. And if that's you, just pray this prayer, mean it, say it after me. Just say, God, I accept responsibility that I've made bad decisions. I need you to cleanse me of my sin. I'm tired of being down on my face. Take it, God. I, I know that I've rebelled, but I'm asking you for the power to stand back up, to wash me clean of my sin. I know that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I can be forgiven. I'm asking you to remove that stain of guilt, that shame. I promise to get back on track, worshiping and focusing on you. Wash me clean with the saving power of Jesus. I declare him my Lord and Savior. I ask that he take control of my life. Thank you for being a God of second chances. Thank you for being a God who restores. And maybe you prayed that prayer for the first time today. Or maybe you're praying this prayer again that you just need God to show up and restore. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, if you just needed God's healing and restoring power today, would you just slip up your hand up in the air? Just put your hand up declaring before him that you're recommitting your life to him or that you're committing your life to him. Saying, God, I'm gonna follow you again. I'm gonna put my focus on you. Thank you for those hands. God, I lift these hands up to you right now. Come be with them, restore them. Make them a brand new creation, Father. Pick up those pieces that they found their life had been shattered in and put them back together. Restore their heart, God. And for all of us in the room, let us keep our focus on you, knowing you're the God who forgives. It's in your son's powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, can we give it up for everyone that prayed that prayer today? And listen, if you're here and, and you prayed that prayer for the first time and and you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior for the first time, we have a guide for you. It's a how to follow Jesus guide. It's really easy to access. If, if you're online for everybody in the room, you can go to central.family. You can click on the quick link, I've decided to follow Jesus. Or if you're at one of our in-person locations, you can go out to the lobby where we have a physical copy of this guide. But make sure to pick that up. It partners with the Bible and gives you some next steps in this new decision. 
Well, can I have everybody stand with us? We're gonna throw it to our different location pastors. Well, what an incredible weekend and such a powerful and encouraging word from Pastor Nick. We're so glad that you joined us. Um, but before you go, we don't want to forget our backpack drive is still happening. You can donate online at central.family to help bring hope to a kid this summer through school supplies. So it's not too late to jump in with us. Absolutely. It's such an incredible thing. I'm just so thankful. My wife and I jumped in this year and it's such a great thing. So we encourage you to also. And also don't forget, Central Academy is right around the corner. To get involved in that, you just go to central.family. Click on that link that says Central Academy. And there you can get signed up for the fall semester. We are so excited to see you again next week. Yes. But before you go, hang on to Romans 8 that says, if God is for us, who can, who can be, be against, against us? us? Keep coming back, you guys. Bye, guys.